Peterson, Elias Peterson scores! Kachuk scores! Matthew Kachuk! What a goal! You're listening to... Another chance, great save by Markstrom! Here's Kachuk, oh, what a save by Demko! Rintoul and Sermon. What's going on? How's your Tuesday? Hope you're off to a great start. We're going to make your day better. That's the goal each and every day. Scott Rintoul, Jamie Dodd. Let's get after it. It's a Tuesday, so it doesn't have a real feel to it, Jamie. So I suppose we have to make a feel for Tuesday for our listeners here. I I suppose we do, Scotty. Well, you know what I'm talking about. And that was an old Seinfeld bit. Like, Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sure. Wednesday even has a feel. Tuesday, ah, not much of a feel. I mean, I say I will say Tuesday at this time of the calendar has the uh, the post Monday night football feel a little bit, right? You know, at least we're going to have that to dive into every Tuesday. Here's the beauty of what's happening on this Tuesday and the Tuesdays throughout September. There's going to be baseball, and it's baseball with major implications, and we will get to that. And it was fun to watch last night. And it was fun after the Blue Jays. If you happen to be a Blue Jays fan like myself, like you. It was fun after that because the Mariners were playing the Red Sox, and that game had implications on both sides, and in my estimation, the right team won, Jamie. Yep. I'm, I'm all on board the uh, the Mariners bandwagon, at least for this series against the Red Sox. And we will get to that. And in fact, let's throw out a little straw poll early here. I've been thinking about this over the last 24 hours because when we bring this topic up, 960-960 or 650-650, get in on the conversation throughout the course of the show. You can always tweet us at Jamie Dodd on Twitter, at Scott Rentoul on Twitter. Those are our handles. When it comes to the increased attention on the Toronto Blue Jays right now, are you of the opinion you can't get enough of it, you can't stand it, talk about something else, or are you somewhere in between, yeah, I can I can take it, I understand why, and if I need to avoid it, I can. Do you hear people cracking back on it mostly, Jamie, or is it more of a love-in from where you view it? Well, I, I think it's probably, I wouldn't say a love-in, but I would say the percentage of people who are outwardly extremely annoyed by the Blue Jays' focus is much smaller than the percentage of people who are either just fine with it or who, in fact, are really enjoying it, right? Because, you know, it, it doesn't happen every year for the Blue Jays, right? That they actually get to be in the race down in coming down the stretch in September. The last time was all the way back in 2016, so it's been five years. So I think those of us out here on the West Coast in Western Canada who are Blue Jays fans, yeah, bring it on. It doesn't happen all the time, so I'm excited for it, certainly. All right, let's hit this. Vegas last night, final game of week one, really the opening for that stadium. We talked about that coming off the Sunday nighter. I saw a lot of people commenting on it when the Rams hosted the Bears on Sunday night. Man, it's so great to see that stadium debut. Well, it did last season, but it's got fans there. It sort of felt like that. But, Jamie, what did I watch last night in Vegas? Did I hallucinate oh, what I saw last night in that football game? Honestly, you might have. I, I texted you this, and I'm not sure a football game has ever just made me laugh as much as that one did, especially towards the end of things and in overtime. I could not stop cackling at what I was seeing on my TV in that one. What part of it made you laugh the most? So there was a lot to choose from. I think the number one thing was 
John Gruden deciding to kick a field goal on second down, but they can't find the kicker, so they just end up taking a delay a game penalty, and then it's second and 14, and they just have to send the offense right back out there. And that came after so many other weird, funny things had happened that at that point, I just kind of threw my hands up. I was like, what is even going on here? And then, of course, of course, they went on the next play when it looked like they were going to find yet another way to, you know, snatch victory uh, or snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, I should say. Yeah, it was a wild, wild game. Baltimore seemingly in control for the bulk of that game, at least on the scoreboard. You can make the argument the Raiders were playing better than their score would indicate. And there were the Ravens and Lamar Jackson leading the field goal drive that looked like it was going to clinch things, only to see the Raiders put up or shut up. And boy, did they come through. They get the 55-yard field goal to tie things up at the end of the game. We're going to OT. They've got the ball. Looks like they've made the game-winning touchdown catch, Jamie, only to say, guys, can you clear the field? Like Lamar Jackson and other players were at that point where they were going to exchange jerseys, as they often do now, kind of taking on the soccer tradition into football. Now, hey, let's exchange jerseys. We'll sign it for each other. Oh, 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 that wasn't a touchdown. Okay, well, they'll punch it in next play. Nope, Derek Carr, quarterback, sneak, stuffed. Oh, we jumped. Illegal procedure. The Raiders vomited all over themselves (laughs) and looked like they were going to blow that game, only to see Lamar Jackson fumble after getting pressured on their first series. Then the Raiders come back, and why bother with the field goal? Let's score the game-winning touchdown. The Ravens picked themselves defensively, and I mean – One of the Ravens picked Marlon Humphrey, and that's why you saw Zay Jones running so wide open. Just another typical night in Vegas, right? Oh, yeah. And to just go back to kind of the first bizarre thing in the sequence there, which was everyone celebrating when they thought that Brian Edwards had scored the touchdown to win the game. Look, I get why the Raiders are celebrating. Like, they're, you know, even if they think it's going to go to a replay, they almost want to create the, the idea that, nope, the game is really over. But from the Ravens' perspective, Okay, we know we've been doing this long enough with instant replay in the NFL. You know every scoring play is going to be reviewed, and we've seen specifically the play where the guy is reaching the ball to the goal line and the question is going to be did his knee touch before he broke the plane? We see that play overturned all the time. So I thought it was just bizarre even in the moment that everyone was acting like the game was over. It's like as soon as it's as soon as the play happened, the first thought had to be, oh, no, that's going to go to replay. That's going to be reviewed. And there's a decent chance that his knee was down because, again, that play happens all the time. We see those touchdowns get called back. So I thought that was just bizarre and hilarious in its own right that everyone just decided to forget about the instant replay process there for a minute. It was a hell of a catch by Brian Edwards, even though he didn't get into the end zone. I think the Ravens were probably thrown off because Derek Carr chose to target somebody other than Darren Waller on that play. He had eyes for him and him alone. At least that's what it felt like for the majority of that game, didn't it? Oh, my goodness. It just every (laughs) – the funny thing is he had eyes for him, but – the arm was not cooperating for a lot of it because he was throwing in Darren Waller's general direction, but a lot of them were falling incomplete. Where are we at with Derek Carr? Just when you think you're out on him, he pulls you back in. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and well, you saw it even just in that game yesterday, Scotty, right? Like off to a really rough start, missing Darren Waller, missing other guys in the first half. But he made some big-time plays late in that game. I mean, even getting them into the position to take the long field goal – Uh, to send the game to overtime was a really impressive drive by Derek Carr. And then he did some good things 
in OT as well. I know he has the interception. You could blame that one a lot on Willie Sneed as well, but you saw really the downside and the upside of Derek Carr just within that game. I think that's completely fair to say that every time you feel ready to write him off, he does just enough where you say, okay, look, if everything else pans out with the team, Derek Carr can maybe work for you. Yeah, part of that picks on Willie Sneed, but a part of it's on Derek Carr as well. Like, had yep. Willie Sneed even played in that ball game before that? Yeah. Had he even had I snaps out there? So part of it is, okay, maybe be prepared. And you're a professional receiver who's been in the league a really long time. That ball goes through your hands. You need to make that catch. Also, Derek Carr, maybe take a little something off it and don't sling it right over his head going 101 on the gun with your fastball. Yeah, don't fire it as hard as you possibly can in that situation. If he takes just a little bit off of it, I mean, he's probably walking into the end zone for a touchdown. He was under pressure a little bit as well on that play. But, yeah, that's the kind of pick where there's blame to go around. And that's the Derek Carr experience for you last night, isn't it? There were all of those plays. And they seem memorable because he targeted Darren Waller 19 times last night, which if you own Darren Waller in fantasy is a very good thing. And he's an excellent player, as we will hear in just one second from John Gruden, who's never prone to hyperbole. Derek Carr last night, he's behind on Waller on a bunch of those plays. There were some errant throws. And yet, Jamie, he finishes the night with 435 yards passing. Maybe I just wasn't keeping up with the statistical performance through most of that game, but that felt like such an inflated total. I went, how did he just throw for 435? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty shocking, actually, when you look at the box score after. And, you know, they did really end up going away from the running game, especially when they were trailing in the second half. And Josh Jacobs maybe dealing with something, uh, a lingering injury, couldn't really get going. So they were throwing it for most of the time. But you're right. It didn't feel like they were just marching down the field every time they got the ball and racking up that kind of yardage. Carr likes him some Darren Waller. I understand it. Maybe not as much as the head coach, John Gruden, who had a lot of clippable quotes after the game last night. This among them on Darren Waller. We threw it 60 times probably. You right, know, okay. and if you threw it 60 times, you know, you'd probably target him 29 times. I, so we, I thought he mishandled a ball or two uncharacteristically he had a penalty call back a big catch and run uh he's the best player i've ever coached so i'm going to continue to look for him and um sorry about that vic but uh you know he's 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 a hell of a player he deserves some good looks yeah that's probably accurate best player he's ever coached that's probably true that's... John Green's <laughs> coached a few coached a few hall of famers yeah, in his those guys. day shout like Shots fired at uh, Charles Woodson, Warren Sapp. He had Jerry Rice uh, late in his career. Wow, that's that's some very high praise from Gruden. Derek Brooks, he wasn't bad either. Like, you go nope. down the list, and there's a bunch of guys, and people did the CSI last night. Well, let's just take a look at some. Oh, yeah, they were pretty good. But that's Gruden, yep. and that's why he's good for television. Whether you think he's a good coach at this stage or not, or where his flaws lied, He's still very good for television. And speaking of television, I want to get to Lamar, but we'll save that for a little bit later on in the program, Jamie. I want to have a conversation about where Lamar Jackson is at and if this is what we're going to see and if that's just fine or whether you see an opportunity for growth and what gives you that feel. Television last night was a big talking point because while this game was going on and many people were watching the standard Monday night football broadcast – There was another broadcast going on. It was the Manning cast last night, Jamie. Yeah, it was the debut of Peyton and Eli doing their thing on kind of the alternate Monday night football uh, 
broadcast, and it was a lot of fun, I thought. I didn't make it my main option for watching. I was flipping back and forth. I was keeping an eye on it, keeping an eye on social media as well. But what I did see of it, I enjoyed. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at as well. I was watching the main broadcast. I didn't catch the entire Manning cast. From what I saw in the clips that were circulating on social media and the times that I flipped over, it was pretty good. They were funny. They also brought insight. And when you have the pull of the Manning brothers, you can bring some big guests to the table, and they certainly did that throughout the course of the game. Yeah, no kidding, right? Ray Lewis, Russell Wilson, among others, Charles Barkley to start things off. They, uh, You have the pull as Peyton Manning, as it turns out, and I guess Eli as well, but let's be honest. I mean, I mean, those guys are answering the phone for Peyton first and foremost. They aren't the first to do this. We had people bringing up Kess's house, which didn't work as well, quite frankly. I, I, I don't think we're... I don't think we're revealing any trade secrets here. It didn't work as well as what we saw from the Manning brothers last night. Fair to say, Jamie? I think that is very fair to say, yes. Yeah, but it's that same concept because the obvious question coming out of it is, hey, who would you love to watch the game with? Now, the Manning brothers weren't sitting there cracking beers, which is every sports fan's dream. Man, love this player or think this player has a great personality. I would love to sit down in a bar, and watch the football game and have that player be unfiltered. And the Manning brothers weren't completely that, but they also have they have this place in the game and they are held in such high regard that they can say some funny stuff that won't stick to them forever. So Peyton Manning opens the game with a little bit, okay, I'm going to tell you everything about the Raiders off this first play. And it's a eight-yard hitch pass to Darren Waller that yep. is errant and it isn't caught. And so Eli says to him, well, what does that tell you? Six and 11. They're going six and 11. That right? That's not going to stick to Peyton Manning. Nobody's going to come back in no. week 13 if the Raiders are on the positive side of the ledger and go, you said they were going to be six and 11. But he was having some fun with it last night. So those guys get a little extra leeway. They can throw it out there last night. Other broadcasts have tried to emulate it. It did make me think as I'm watching this. Look, ESPN's got hockey coverage this year. I'm not sure they can pull something like the Manning brothers to be a part of their hockey coverage. But do they try something at some point during the season along those lines? Does TNT try something like this? Well, I think every sport is going to be looking at this and thinking, and every broadcaster is going to be looking at it and thinking, okay, what lessons can we learn from this? How can we emulate it? I, I will say... I think football is very, very well suited to it, right? Because you have the, okay, there's a play. Then we have 30 seconds to talk about it and break it down where there's not really action happening on the field, right? So you just try to imagine it in hockey where there's so much constant flow of action. I'm not sure it's a direct comparison. You can directly transport this idea to hockey and that it would work just as well. And the other thing I'll say is... Let's not sleep on just how good Peyton Manning is at that, right? And I know Eli Manning had his moments yesterday, and he was funny, but Peyton was kind of running the show. And when you think about it, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you know, multiple-time MVP, multiple-time Super Bowl champion. He's got everything you could ask for in terms of a football resume and a football mind, but then he also has just an incredibly easy presence on camera, and he's so comfortable as a broadcaster. That's such a rare combination. Like, he was running the show at a lot at a lot of points yesterday like a veteran broadcaster would right you know setting up Russell Wilson for questions throwing it to Eli Manning throwing it to break doing things like that I think it's really hard to find that skill set somebody who has the resume in their sport like Peyton Manning and the knowledge and the cachet and the prestige but also is so comfortable on camera so 
yeah, other broadcasters, they should and they will absolutely look to see, okay, can we replicate this? What lessons can we learn? But let's not lose sight of the fact, I think a big part of the reason why it works is just how incredibly talented and how well-suited Peyton Manning is to it. Well, and where the fan and listeners mind often goes in this country is the National Hockey League. Well, who are those guys in the National yep. Hockey League? And to your point, that might not be as easy to find. We've seen it in other sports, albeit in a more standard format. Alex Rodriguez jumps to the mind. He's not as esteemed in baseball as perhaps Peyton Manning is, but we're talking about a guy who had ridiculous stats, one of the best players of his generation, and has made the transition to television far more comfortably and actually changed a lot of people's opinion on him as a person than most people would have anticipated. We got a glimpse of that with Manning when he hosted Saturday Night Live back in the day. Yep. Everybody thought it was going to be boring. How could you pick Peyton Manning? He is, I don't even think it's under the radar anymore. He's funny. Like, it used to be under the radar. Now, we've seen it enough times. We expect Peyton Manning to be pretty funny. No, and you go back to that Saturday Night Live performance where he was great. We've seen him in you know dozens and dozens of commercials at this point, right? He started. He dipped his toe into the waters a little bit doing doing uh, digital things with ESPN. Like, at this point, it's just well-known. Peyton Manning's good on camera. He has that presence. He can be funny. He can be smart. He can communicate really well. He's really, really well-suited to this kind of thing. So here's the other thing we can talk about throughout the course of the show. Maybe there's something you've been thinking about as a fan that you'd like to see. What other kinds of innovations or augmentations would you like to see on the sports broadcast you watch? Jamie, we know for certain that a bunch of them are coming, with single-game betting being a thing, with all of these sports entities signing more deals with major gambling operations. You're going to see a part of your broadcast, or you're going to see an alternate broadcast that has a lot more to do with the lines and the things that are changing within game and prop bets that you can get. That's going to be pushed on you as a sports fan more and more. And I don't know if it's going to be on your main broadcast or if it's going to be an alternate channel that you choose, but you are going to have that option extremely soon yeah that's coming it's already here in a lot of spots i know you know espn for the college football national championship does a big mega cast where they have a whole bunch of different broadcasts and you certainly gambling is going to be part of that you're going to see broadcasts that are much more heavily focused on statistical analysis analysis right we've already seen as i said with espn and the college football right they have coaches talking and breaking down the game as it's going on so you're going to see all of those things start to become more and more common, not just in football, in other sports too, in hockey as well. And there's going to be something, I think, depending on how many broadcasts they want to put through, for the casual who wants something a little lighter and kind of wants to pay attention to the game but is happy to see something like the Manning cast or a derivative thereof, hey, I'm good with the entertainment. I don't need to pay as close attention to every play. And then I think you'll see a pendulum go to the far extreme as well. Like, there are a lot of football fans out there right now, Jamie, that are more interested in the actual game than they are in fantasy who would say, well, if you can give me the wide shot, if you can give me the all 22, if you yeah. will, if I can have that perspective during the game, give me that every single time. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know what? I will say, as I said, I as much as I enjoyed a lot, a lot of the Manning cast, I also didn't find myself staying on it for long stretches of the game. Because I still missed, I still wanted the structure of a traditional broadcast, right? And okay, someone who's calling play-by-play -play and getting me the information as it comes and then kind of flip over to see what's going on in the Manning cast. But I still think, and maybe it's just because it's what I grew up with, I'm used to it, whatever the case is, I still wanted that traditional play-by-play -play structure. But I think you're right. Yeah, you can go the other way too, where it's just very minimal. Okay, I just want to see what's going on in the field. Maybe the bare bones information. I don't need all the bells and whistles going on around it. 
This text comes in. Ferraro would be the first person I call to do a similar show. He's extremely comfortable and articulate, but if you get him in the proper format, he could throw out some great chirps that won't get himself into trouble politically. Yes, Ray is one of the best, if not the best in the world at what he does. Obviously, he's a choice that a lot of hockey fans would love to see in that format. I don't know if ESPN is going to put him in that format. They're going to, I think, use him as a standard analyst on their top games as part of their top play-by-play duo, but I suppose that's always an option. I can remember well over a decade ago when Ray and I were hosting a morning show together, he was the first guy I heard. Maybe there are people who said it to him before, but he was the first guy I heard put on air that every Sunday or every Saturday night, whatever, there should be an alternate broadcast for the NHL, Jamie. And he, and Ray's example was NHL X, whatever you want yeah. to call it. That was the name he came up with. And, and Ray said at that time, there should be this mic'd up, warnings on the screen. You are going to hear what happens on the ice broadcast that, yeah, it would offend some viewers. and You probably don't want your kids watching it, but if you want a real taste of what's happening out there, you're going to get it. I'm with them. Hockey fans would eat that up. Oh, well, that would do dynamite ratings. I don't think there's any way the league ever agrees to that, right? Because they don't want <laughs> they don't want to put the players and the coaches in that position. But if it ever did happen, it would be phenomenal television. Everyone would watch it. Tim Peel agrees with you, Jamie. He doesn't think that they would want everybody <laughs> mic'd up and hearing what they had to say about penalties that were being called or not being called last night. Look, if you got some innovations that you'd like to see or some people you'd like to see try something similar in the National Hockey League with what we saw and heard from the Manning brothers last night, you can send those in. Maybe we'll work a few of those clips in a little bit later in the show. 96960. 650-650. A lot to talk about from that Raiders game. We'll dive into it a little further on the other side as well. We still haven't talked much Blue Jays here. Boy, it's been fun to watch if you're a Jays fan. Maybe it's been tough for you if you're not a Jays fan. Part of our topic today. Next, we will head down to Sin City. As I mentioned, I don't, I'm not sure if I hallucinated that or not. You seem to have confirmed to me, Jamie, that everybody saw yes. what I thought I saw last night on that field in Vegas. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal joins us next right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Scott Rintoul, Jamie Dodd with you today. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Journal, Review-Journal, I should say. Put those words in reverse for a second there. Adam, just a few minutes' time after that crazy Monday nighter in Vegas. Talk some football with him. Who knows? Might even dip into the Vegas Golden Knights at some point during the conversation. Jamie, not great news out of the NFL, and for that matter, the CFL this morning. When it comes to COVID-19, we were talking NFL primarily in the opening segment, so I'll give you the latest there first. Five coaches apparently have tested positive for COVID-19. They are all with the New Orleans Saints. They are all offensive coaches. However, one team source in the report from Adam Schefter said, quote, we'll be just fine. Yeah, I did enjoy that quote because it might be a little bit of a, an ego blow for if you're one of the five coaches whose status is in question for that game versus Carolina. I don't know if the co- if the source there is saying, don't worry, they'll be back, they'll be on the sideline, or if he's saying, you know what, even if they're not back, we'll be just fine without them. Yeah, and is that we'll be just fine as far as our health? Is that we'll be just fine as right. far as the game plan? Who knows? What are the ages of some of those coaches afflicted? I'm not sure. You would think that given the way they've been in proximity with those players that those coaches are likely vaccinated, but I suppose we'll wait to see those reports come out over the course of the morning. A coach that we do know that is doubly vaccinated, 
but has also tested positive for COVID-19 is the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. He is Kahari Jones. Alouettes releasing a statement today that Kahari Jones tested positive. He will be in isolation for 10 days. He is currently asymptomatic, but he has tested positive for COVID-19, so he will miss, at the very least, this weekend's game against the BC Lions, which takes place in Montreal. Yeah, he's on the shelf for a little bit, as you said, double vaccinated and asymptomatic right now. And hopefully uh, everyone hopes that it stays that way and that he's able to recover just fine. Agreed. And hopefully no one else on the roster tests positive. Hopefully none of the other coaches test positive. And we wish our best for Kahari Jones and his family as he goes through his isolation. Now, there are going to be some that point to this and say, well, see, you got double vaccinated. You can still get COVID. Yeah, we all know that. Everybody knows that. It's about giving yourself the best opportunity not to get COVID-19 and also not to wind up in ICU, which, as many of our listeners know right now, is a massive problem, specifically in one of the provinces we talk to every day. Jamie, the capacity in Alberta is tough right now. Yeah, they are. um, They're really getting hammered by the fourth wave in Alberta. As you said, the capacity in the ICU is a major major issue and to to the Katari Jones example right he tested positive but he's still asymptomatic and you know if you are double vaccinated we know that even if you do get it even if you do test positive your chances of you know recovering quickly of not needing to be hospitalized of not needing to go to the ICU they're so much better right if you are double vaccinated and you know unfortunately we're seeing the results of of having lower vaccination rates in Alberta right now Five coaches with the Saints test positive. Things are a little bit different in the states, depending on what state you're on with regards to how things are being handled. And we also know that the NFL having just kicked off, not that it makes it easy for New Orleans or easy for the NFL, but there's a little more leeway here if things don't go the right way over the course of the week with the New Orleans Saints. When it comes to the Montreal Alouettes, you'd have to think the Canadian Football League Crossing its fingers right now, Jamie. There's already been an interruption with one club in Edmonton. We saw what that did for the Elks having to have an extended break, the way it threw a wrench into the schedule late in the season. They're going to have to play three games in seven days, which just sounds crazy still as I think about it. This this potentially is the second interruption. Now, they're nowhere close to that right now in Montreal, but there are just a lot of fingers crossed. You would think even from a business standpoint with the league right now, watching to see what develops in Montreal over the course of this week. Oh, absolutely. Right. This is, this is a league that as we've talked about, Scotty, they can't really afford any interruptions. Right. And it doesn't seem like this one should devolve into that or, or turn into that because Kahari Jones is double vaccinated. So it's a much different situation than what developed in Edmonton, but it's still something that bears monitoring for the CFL. Most certainly does. And interestingly enough, and this is just happenstance more than anything else, the BC Lions, the op- the opposition in both cases, it was right after that game with the Edmonton Elks that the positive test at Edmonton came out. And fortunately for the BC Lions, no positive tests on their side yep. of things. So there was no spread during the course of that game. BC on its way to Montreal right now. Again, we will see how things go throughout the course of the week and whether or not things improve. Let's all hope. Let's all hope that it goes that way let's head down to vegas site of that wild scene i don't know if anybody slept after that last night it's vegas so maybe nobody slept anyway the residents know it's not quite that way all the time but man coming down off the adrenaline rush that we got from that monday night or last night would not have been easy adam hill of the las vegas review journal joins us here today adam thank you very much for doing this how are you 
uh, pretty tired, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was, as you said, it was a long night, and it's one of those things where you know, you're uh, you're wrapping up your stories, you're out of your press box at you know one thirty in the morning, and nobody's going to bed. So you know you go get some dinner, and uh, before you know it, it's like six, and uh, now you got to start the day again. So we got Gruden coming up in a little bit. I'm sure he's going to still be uh, kind of riding that emotion of that win last night, but. Uh, as you know, in the NFL, it's uh, you get about 24 hours, and it's on to the next one. And the Raiders have a short week, so they're uh, they're already in the full Pittsburgh mode. How long did it take you to process everything that fit, that happened in that game in the last five minutes plus overtime? Because it felt like a full game's worth just in that span. Yeah, and it's a really weird thing, like not to go. You know, I'm, I'm sure people don't you know care much about the process or whatever, and as far as being a, a writer and, and trying to cover that. But you know, we had a full staff out there at the game last night to cover it, the first ever game with fans at Allegiant Stadium. And uh, it's one of those things, usually it's like 30 seconds after the game, we kind of go through and, all right, you wrote about this, you wrote about this, you wrote about this. And yesterday I was like, all right, hold on. We got to take a step back. We got to talk about this for like five minutes and just figure out what exactly happened. What are this? There's like a hundred storylines that happened uh, in the game. And then some we didn't even find out about till after the game. So, I mean, the, the game was so crazy and so wild and then there was, like, all these other, like, underlying storylines from there, like the fact that they couldn't find the kicker, which is crazy. Uh, all those things we found out about afterwards. So even though the, the action on the field was insane, uh, the stories that we got to hear afterwards were even crazier, I think. The two most important positions in the NFL, most would agree, head coach and quarterback. What is the general view right now of John Gruden and Derek Carr in the Vegas fan base or the Raiders fan base more appropriately? Well, at this hour, you know, 12 hours after what we saw last night, it's very, very good. Uh, I think 24 hours ago, maybe a little bit different. Uh, Listen, John Gruden is obviously the big name, the splashy hire. Uh, They brought him in. Everybody thought it was going to be instant success. And it's been more of a process. He's been kind of rebuilding the team in his image. And, you know, he had the luxury of having that long-term deal, 10-year contract. So not many coaches are in that position. Most coaches think they have to win right away. And, he didn't. He kind of tore down the team, and he's gone through some ugly seasons, and uh, and now he's here on the precipice of having a roster that he likes. And his fortunes are, of course, tied with Derek Carr because he's the quarterback, and that's how things go. Uh, they they were very fortunate, I think, to have kind of the the timeline that they had, where they had you know those last two years in Oakland. One of the years was kind of a you know a sentimental, hey, it's your last season here. They're going to show up and be supportive no matter what. Well. The support is the wrong word. Some wanted to support. Some wanted to be angry. Uh, but they had that year where the focus was on the fact that they were moving. And then they had a year where they had no fans in the crowd last year, and they could all talk about COVID and not the fact that they were losing. Uh, so they haven't had to really endure the you know the ire of the fans uh, in, in a direct manner because they've had other things to focus on. But this was the year. This is the year still that it is going to matter. The results are going to make a difference, and it, it, they are going to be judged on what happens. So, um, this, you know, honeymoon period is over, if you want to say it that way, and they've got to go win games. And fortunately for them, they did, because there's, there's a scenario that could have played out on an alternate timeline last night where they lose that game, and all the talk today is, yeah, same old Raiders, played well, in the mix, lost the game, found a way to lose. That's where they're at. But because they found a way to pull it off and win – the narrative has completely shifted this morning. And Adam, as you said, John Gruden had the time to really kind of rebuild this team as he wanted. You know, he had the security, but he didn't need to try to win 
right away, and now he has maybe a roster that's more suited to what he wants to do. What does he want the identity of this Raiders team to be? Well, I mean, I feel like he wants the identity of the Raiders to be the team that, you know, that that he wanted to build in, like, the 1980s. Uh, He wants to be a running team, a smash-mouth team. He wants to line up and, you know, get an extra extra offensive lineman in there and, and, you know, jam it down the opponent's throat. Like, that's kind of what he wants to do, even though he's known as a bit of an innovator. Like, that's his mentality. He's, you know, he's an old-school punt-on-fourth-down kind of guy. Uh, he showed a little bit of flexibility though last night, which I think was interesting going forward on a fourth down, even though they didn't make it. Um, he's, he's being a little bit more aggressive. He's catching up with the times a little bit, which I think is interesting, but he does want to turn back the clock a little bit. He wants to line it up and smash mouth. And, um, he does want that speed on the outside, that Raiders identity, that old school, you know, find the fast guys that can play wide receiver. But, um, he really does want to be a, a ball control type guy. He wants to have a defense that can line up and, uh, and, and, you know, dominate opponents. And he's he thinks he has it. I mean, they weren't there last night, but they, they played much, much better. Uh, the defensive line, the pressure rate was over 50% of the times Lamar Jackson dropped back. Uh, they were able to get in the backfield, which is not something they've been able to do. Uh, but if you, you know, if you really ask Sean Gruden, I think what he wants to do is run the ball and dominate in the pass rush. And, you know, they, they were able to do that second one a little bit last night. Yeah, they were able to do the second one for sure. You know, they got away from the run game, I think, just based on the circumstances of the game and what was going on with Josh Jacobs. But that's going to happen, right, today in the NFL. Sometimes you're going to have to throw the ball an awful lot, and you're going to have to trust your quarterback to make plays. And I thought Derek Carr last night, you know, started slow in the first half but made some really good big plays late to help the Raiders win the game. What level as a quarterback does Derek Carr need to reach this year for the Raiders to be consistently successful? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. He's had so much success uh, in the NFL. He has every, you know, every Raiders passing record. Um, he's, he's a guy, I, I look at it as, you know, he's in a terrible position and the team's in a terrible position with him because he's, he's way too good to just discard and move on from but he's not good enough to take him to that next level. And and that's a, a tough spot to be in because you want to see if there's any better out there. You want to see if you can improve at the quarterback position, but there's like 10 people on the entire planet that can play the position better than him. And if you can't get one of those, then you're going to be downgrading. And that's kind of the, the bubble that he's been sitting on for a while. So I think if you say, what does he have to do this year? It, it's, it's playoffs. It's, it's all in. I think it's that, it's that Vegas mentality. It's something, uh, it was the focus of our preview section on the team. Uh, and that's because it's something that John Gruden has been saying all summer. Uh, you know, that, that poker analogy of, Hey, you're all in this year. You have to make the playoffs. If you don't, they know there's going to be massive changes. That's not going to include John Gruden unless he wants to leave, but there is going to be changes. So they'd move on from Carr, I think um, they would move on from some other people, maybe in the organization. Uh, they need to make the playoffs. And, and I don't think Derek Carr's personal uh, stats matter. But obviously his level of play does because he has to play good enough to get them into the playoffs because this is the year they have to do that. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal joining us here today on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Tough division to make the playoffs in, of course, because the top seed is almost assuredly going to be the Kansas City Chiefs who are seemingly in a a tier of their own. How do you believe the Raiders stack up to the other two teams in the division, the Chargers and the Broncos? It's, it's it's really weird. I, I thought going into the year, uh, the, all those teams were fairly similar uh, in in their approach. And I thought it was going to just come down to 
uh, you know, a game or two, maybe uh, maybe a fluky ending or two. And, you know, we already saw that happen for the Raiders in the positive direction. Maybe it's the start of things to come where they get a couple of, uh, of I don't say fluky might not be the right word, but, you know, wins at the end that could have gone either way. And they, they find a way to win those games that they've lost in the past. And it makes them better in the end than the other two teams. But I think you watch what happened this weekend. Denver looked really, really good. And what, what everybody has said about them, I'm not – uh, on my own on this of saying they have one of the best rosters in the league except for the quarterback position well all of a sudden Teddy Bridgewater played really well now it's the Giants and I think they stink we'll have to see what they do against other teams but I do think the Broncos if Teddy Bridgewater plays at a high level are very very dangerous and then you've got the Chargers and you know Justin Herbert emerging star um, played really well the other day but the the under uh, appreciated facet of that game is if you ask any unit in the league uh, that that played the best this week, I would say it was the Chargers offensive line, which is a massive development because they've been bad the last couple of years. And Justin Herbert was able to overcome the fact that the line was bad last year, but now it's good. It looked dominant. And so I think that makes the Chargers even better. I think they're the second best team. The Raiders are right there with them and the Broncos are not very far behind. So uh, you got a weird situation where you've got this dominant Chiefs team, but then three other really good teams in the division. I think they're all fighting around the same record between you know, eight and 11 wins. Uh, and I, I think it's just going to come down to who can find a way to steal a couple. And, you know, Raiders are up one nothing on that one. You talk about the Chargers offensive line performing well. Raiders defensive line performed well last night. Has that defense been upgraded enough to compete in your mind? Well, I think that question was asked. I mean, you know, listen, it's early in the season. It's one game in. But of all the analysis during the offseason of, hey, the Raiders defense is terrible – I think that was ignoring all the changes that they made on that defense. You look at the bodies they brought in on the defensive line. You know, Cleef Earl last year was, you know, expected to be a starter and, and play almost every down. He was a healthy scratch yesterday. He's that far down the depth chart because of all the bodies they brought in. They brought in Yanni Kingakwe, who was very, very good yesterday to go along with Max Crosby, who was great. Uh, on the interior of that defensive line, you've got guys. I mean, Quinn Jefferson and uh, they brought in Joe McCoy who did get hurt last night. It looks, it doesn't look good for him uh, going forward, but uh, Darius Phylon, who uh, has been kind of, uh, you know, a very successful player in this defense for a while and was out of football a little bit. Um, so you've, you've just got new bodies in there and new guys that uh, can rush. And then Carl Nassib doesn't have to play the same role that he did last year. He can be more of a specialist, and you saw that be very effective late in the game by making a couple of plays. So huge upgrades on the defensive line. Uh, the system is obviously different with Gus Bradley. He's been successful as a defensive coordinator for so long. And then you you got you know new bodies in the secondary, like Casey Hayward. You, you spent a second-round pick on Trayvon Merrig. Uh, and then you've upgraded everywhere. The one place you didn't really upgrade was that linebacker. And then last week you go out and get K.J. Wright, one of the best linebackers in the entire league. So um, he looked good last night. If he can play at a high level, I think that's a big difference because the linebacker room was ugly two weeks ago, and now all of a sudden it could be a strength of the team. I think the defense has significantly improved. Well, and we certainly saw that on the defensive line in particular, I thought, last night, Adam. As you mentioned, Max Crosby yeah. was fantastic. But you mentioned him just briefly there, and I wanted to ask you more about Gus Bradley, who comes in and takes over as a defensive coordinator. You know, a lot of our listeners in the Pacific Northwest here are very familiar with his work in Seattle. How is that defense going to look different under Bradley this year? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be similar to what we've seen in the past. You're going, to, you're going to rely a lot on the defensive line to get pressure themselves. We saw that last night. They didn't send their first blitz until the fourth quarter, and it actually really worked because it threw, the, threw off the Ravens 
because uh, they haven't seen a blitz all game. So it's going to be relying on your front four to generate pressure on the quarterback, and they showed that they could do that yesterday without having to blitz extra guys. And then obviously that coverage behind it that everybody's so familiar with, with you know one safety up in the box and one safety as a as a deep ball safety. And I think that is what uh, has really worked for this team so far. In addition to you know Gus Bradley just having a different system and a better system, and the players um, you know being upgraded a little bit as individuals. I think what works for them is that Gus Bradley's defense fits the personnel that they had, right? It puts the corner, like the cornerbacks that struggled last year, you know, Trayvon Mullen was okay. This system fits him a little better in terms of what they ask him to do. Uh, you bring in a Casey Hayward who has done this before, but you know, Jonathan Abram is the big guy that I think benefits from this. Jonathan Abram was brutal in coverage last year. He couldn't cover anybody. Uh, you guys could get open against him. And so now he's not really asked to do that. He's asked to play near the line of scrimmage. He's asked to go uh, be more of an aggressive, go get the ball, make plays in the box kind of guy, which is much more, um, much more fitting for what he's able to do. It fits his strength so much better. And then Trayvon Merrick is, you know, some of his weaknesses would be around the line of scrimmage, but he's asked to be a much more, um, you know, playing the ball type over the top defender, which is so fitting of what he does. So I think the scheme just fits the personnel really well, and that's why this defense is going to take strides that. I don't think a lot of national analysts saw, saw coming. Adam, I got to ask you about Darren Waller. I think one of the big stories coming out of last night, and look, you know, he's not going to get 19 targets a game, but we heard what John Gruden had to say him after the game, and obviously there's a level of trust in Darren Waller from Gruden and from Derek Carr. Again, I know we're not going to see 19 targets a game, but could we be on the cusp of a, a kind of historic season here for Darren Waller, given how, how much this team obviously wants to feature him in the offense? I would say yes, and I think you saw that in training camp when we were out there. You just saw throwing to him all the time. Uh, and, and I will I'll go back to your, hey, we're not going to see 19 targets every game. That's true, but I don't think the target share is that off. I mean, Derek Carr dropped back 60 times. And so 19 is about one-third of their passing plays. I don't think they're uncomfortable with that. I think they're fine with one-third of their passing plays going through Darren Waller because he's that good, and, and, and they like him that much. After the game last night, it's funny, John Gruden was asked about the 19 targets and said, hey, you tried to throw it to him 19 times, and Gruden said, he's the best player I've ever coached. Why wouldn't we? Uh, he also said, if you throw 60 times – Maybe you want to get Darren Waller 29 instead of 19. So uh, if anything, they were, uh, you know, they, they were fine with the amount of uh, share that Darren Waller got of those targets. And yeah, he's a very, very special player. Obviously, what he does is um, is unique in in every way. A guy that played wide receiver in college, then was out of football through his own doing for a little bit, and then came back and reincarnated his career as a tight end. We've seen it the last couple of years. I mean, he had an unbelievable year in 19. Last year, he was even better, got among that, you know, Travis Kelsey class uh, in the tight end world, and now uh, he's right, right up there, and, and every bit his equal of, of Travis Kelsey, I think, in what he does. So uh, it's it's going to be a special season, I think, for Darren Waller. And, uh, you know, after the game, Darren Waller wasn't talking about his 10 catches or his 100 yards. He was talking about uh, the one or two that he dropped uh, that he wanted back. So, you know, that's that's kind of his approach, and um, it's, it's nice when – guys that are that good and, and guys that are that, um, you know, honest and, and open about themselves and uh, just start trying to do right with all the charity work that he does and everything else, all the good he does in the community. Good to see those guys succeed.
Adam, your city does not suffer for a lack of events. Everybody knows that. Many of our listeners have been to a hockey game down in Vegas, myself included. It's a fantastic experience. How does that event, Monday night football or just football in general at that stadium, compare to the other trappings that are offered in Sin City? Yeah, the NFL is different. It's it's such a different level. It's crazy. and um, I thought it was actually uh, pretty interesting. Derek Carr, after the game last night, uh, was talking about the atmosphere and uh, he had gone to a couple nights game and I had actually talked to him about some of those experiences. And uh, last night he said, you know what, this felt, this felt like just a bigger version of a night's game. It felt like, you know, that kind of college atmosphere that the Golden Knights have created and their fans uh, it felt like it just kind of translated across the street to Allegiant, Allegiant stadium. Uh, it was a party in that place. It was loud. It was festive. Um, obviously it's Monday night football and it's the first game with fans. And so it, it's, it'll be interesting to see if they can carry that dynamic over and, carry it through as a consistent uh, home field advantage, but it was loud. It was a party. It was ruckus. You know, we had uh, two short and ice cube performing at halftime, uh, just blowing the roof off the place. It was crazy. And uh, you know, the fact that there's a nightclub in the end zone is only going to make it that much wilder. I think throughout the season, it's going to be the place to be in Vegas. Uh, it is, it's going to be a party, but listen, I've told people about this, this about the nights for a long time. This is a winning town. And they will turn quickly. I, I mean, I don't know if it came across in the broadcast. The fans were booing at a couple of points last night when the Raiders' offense was struggling. So uh, they will abandon the Knights when they start losing, and they will abandon the Raiders if they start losing. But as long as they're winning and having fun, it's going to be great over there. Yeah, it looked like a great atmosphere. I'm glad you've been reviewing the tape of myself and my co-host, Jamie Dodd, as well, and knowing that we could get open against Jonathan Abram. We look forward to playing <laughs> in the stadium at some point in the near future. Adam, thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate your time today. Get some rest, okay? Uh, I'll try it anytime, guys. That is Adam Hill joining us here today at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Interesting what he said. Hey, they'll abandon the Golden Knights the second they start losing. Hasn't happened yet. Obviously, they haven't been able to hoist the chalice by any measure what they've done in their first four years in the league has been a success other than perhaps that of their owner jamie who's made it very clear and i I do think there is mounting pressure in that city get it done like get the job done we've been close 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 but we need to see a finish it's a pretty high bar to hold yourself to when you go to the final four almost every single year you've been to the stanley cup final once Well, and as you said, it starts from ownership there, right? It's not just from the fans. It's from the organization itself that's trying to hold the team to that standard, right? They're holding themselves to that high standard. And when you do that, yeah, even in a market where you're really new, it doesn't have a traditional hockey following. I think the fans are going to match the signals you're sending and say, okay, if the team expects that, then yeah, we're going to expect that too. It is a really fascinating team going into this season because, you know, as Adam said there, it's a winning town. And if it ever does start to turn or if the frustration starts to mount, especially now that, you know, they've let go of Marc-Andre Fleury, so the kind of emotional leader face of the team isn't there anymore, it does feel like there could be a really quick turnaround if they don't meet that same level or exceed the same level that they've already set there. Someone, as we open this segment, talking about the COVID case in Montreal with Gahari Jones and the five coaches testing positive in in New Orleans as well with the Saints and what that means for this coming weekend. Someone pointed to the fact I didn't mention all those coaches in New Orleans were double vaccinated. That was not intentional. I simply didn't communicate that detail at the time. Thank you for keeping us accountable here. By the way, on vaccination rates, the Carolina Hurricanes, Jamie, have just tweeted out that they have reached 100% vaccination 
with their organization. And I think we're going to start to see more and more announcements like this, right? And I think I even saw uh, Mitch Marner was on TV in Toronto today, said the Leafs are 100% vaccinated as well. So as we get close to training camp here, players start to get back into their cities. We're going to hear announcements like this because, Scotty, as you and I have talked many times, it's just so, so punishing not to be vaccinated in the NHL this year. It's competitive disadvantage in football, in hockey, yep. and you're going to see that in the NBA as well. If you are not fully vaccinated, you are going to see more stories like we saw with Selvan Lafay, and you are going to see teams openly opine that something better be done or something's going to have to change. We've just watched something we have never seen before, and you can't often say that with this sport. We will get to it next on Rinto and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Sounding like new rock to me, and if that's your jam, new rock, stay plugged in with the new rock playlist on Apple Music. It's always being updated with the best new bands, new rock. You can add tracks right to your library for offline listening. Listen to the new rock playlist on Apple Music. Scott Rintoul and Jamie Dodd. Good thing I had some business to get to there, Jamie, because I was getting an unidentified call from Selkirk, Manitoba, which I probably would have answered. Wow. Yeah, probably <laughs> would have answered. As I've said before, there was no group of people better set up to thrive during the pandemic than scam artists. Like, hey, we've been working from home this entire time. We've been doing this forever. We've been spamming. We've been scamming. Let's go. This is booming business for us. Yeah, they were they were just waiting for this opportunity. The perfect chance for them to thrive. Selkirk, Manitoba. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe you should have picked it up, Scotty. It could have been an incredible business opportunity for you. Yet another missed opportunity in my yeah, life. another missed opportunity. That's right. I'll tell you who's not missing many opportunities right now. The Toronto Blue Jays. We alluded to it off the top of the show. I said there was history made. And look, you can dig in baseball to find something statistically that has never been done before. But just to give you an idea of how good this streak the Jays are on is right now. And I'm talking from a hitting perspective. So this month, the Blue Jays have 36 home runs. They are batting 331 as a team in 13 games. They're 12 and 1 in September. They're the first team in modern history to hit 36 or more home runs and bat 330 or better over any 13 game span. That's how hot the lumber is. Yeah, they are they're on just another planet right now. And it didn't slow down really. I mean, I guess it did slow down a little bit since it was so so hot against uh, against the Baltimore Orioles over the weekend, but they still put up eight against a very good Tampa, Ray, Tampa Bay Rays team last night, and they didn't slow down all that much. Their numbers as a whole for September are just goopy. I mean, you said it right there. No other team has matched that batting average and that number of home runs through the last number of games that the Jays have had. And even just, like, they're basically hitting as a team in September, like Vladdy Guerrero has for the entire year, right? Like, as you said, 331, their on-base percentage as a team is over 400. Their slugging percentage, way over 600. They have an entire lineup of MVP candidate hitters right now. It's basically how it feels. He took the Major League Baseball lead in home runs with 45. It is likely not going to be enough to get him an MVP, even if he crests 50, even if he wins the Triple Crown. He wins the Triple Crown, there'll be a much more in-depth conversation. He'll get more love. He'll get more votes. But ultimately, it's going to be Shohei Otani's award, Jamie. 
I would still be extremely, extremely shocked if Shohei Otani doesn't win it just because, I mean, first of all, I think from a statistical perspective, he still should be the winner, right? What he's done at the plate combined with what he's done on the mound is more valuable than what Vladdy has done at the plate. But I also just think for emotional reasons, right? When you look back at this year of baseball, Shohei Otani is still what you're going to remember first and foremost. And what he was able to do, I know he's cooled off, but over the summer, he was the story in Major League Baseball. So I think it's deserved, and I think it's coming. He's going to be the MVP. Vladito passed his dad. Vladdy Sr. never yeah, hit more than 44 home runs. Do you remember the first time you beat your dad at something significant, whether it was basketball in the driveway or something else that you grew up playing against your dad? Because, hey, if you played any sports against your dad, there there was probably a really young where your dad let you win a little. Yep. And then as yep. your dad tried to help you get better, it was, no, no, not on my watch. I'll let you get close, but then it's going to be game time. Yeah, it's uh, there's always there's always that process. It's a special moment for sure when you can actually surpass them without them, you know, taking it easy on you. Do you remember a time where you beat your dad at something significant? I can't I can't say I remember this specific time. No. It took me way longer than I felt it should have to like, you know, you'd wrestle with your dad at some point or be like, "Okay, I'm stronger than my dad." There is that growth process where you realize that there's old man strength on your on your dad's side and while you yes, think you are yep. stronger and that that he at this point whatever the age is oh he's got to be a decrepit human because look at me i'm a teenager i'm strong now and then you realize your dad has old, old man strength and it's going to take you a few more years yes old man strength is a very real phenomenon all right back to the blue jays here hey, if you want to text in your stories about your dad and beating your dad at something you can do that 960 960 or 650 650 so Toronto's 12-1 and one this month. 15 of the last 17 have been wins for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's fun because not only are they winning, but you're paying attention to the out-of-town scoreboard. And so last night, the other wild-card contenders, the Mariners beat the Red Sox last night in a 5-4 thriller that saw the Red Sox almost come back in the eighth inning. The Yankees came back yesterday. We talked on air yesterday. The Yankees were down 5 nothing. Boy, did they need that win. They got a win over the Twins in extra innings, 6-5. The A's were idle yesterday. Here's what it amounts to. Toronto Toronto was way back just a couple of weeks ago and now holds the top wild card spot. One game up on the Yankees, a game up on the Red Sox, but Toronto has two games in hand on the Red Sox. Three games up on Seattle. The A's are three and a half back right now. Jamie, it's gone from... Man, could they get into, they should get into, boy, they might be the odds-on favorite to host this wild card game. Well, it's gone to, it's going to be a major disappointment, really, if they blow it from here. Like, they are, you're right, they're the odds-on favorite to host this game. It's going to be pretty crushing if they undo all of the incredible progress, incredible work that they've done in the standings over the last couple weeks. Like, it's completely flipped from, ah, you know, there's a faint hope. If they get really, really hot and other teams stumble, maybe it could happen. It's flipped from that to now, okay, don't blow this. Like, you've put yourself in a position. All you have to do is kind of hold serve down the stretch here, and you should be in. It would be pretty devastating at this point if they find a way to blow it. And yesterday was a rout of the Tampa Bay Rays, who just happened to be the best team in the American League. This wasn't a pushover. This wasn't the Orioles that you're just going to come back on at the flip of a switch in the top of the last inning. This is the big, bad Tampa Rays, even though their payroll might not be. Doesn't mean that the series is won. There are still two games to go. But the air didn't come out of the balloon 
arriving back at Rogers Center, which is a very good sign for the Jays. And I do think this is an underreported story of what the Jays have done here. The fact that they're playing at Rogers Center again, Jamie. They've had three different homes this year. Four, actually, yeah. if you look at some of the parks they played, quote-unquote, home games in. But they had the setup in Dunedin to start the year. Then they went to Buffalo. Late July, they finally got back to Rogers Center. The home record of the Jays is 40-29 and 29 on the season. But all 11 of those games that they are over 500, that can be accounted for since they went back to Toronto. They were 22-22 and 22 at quote-unquote home prior to moving back. They have been unreal in that ballpark. And with the way their lineup sets up, part of that is understandable. Well, and their first kind of hot streak that reignited their playoff hopes happened right when they moved back to the to, to the Rogers Center in Toronto, right? That was the first time that they got red hot this year and had people thinking, okay, hey, maybe they can actually do something. Maybe they can actually take a run. It is a big part of the story. The, the fact that they had to bounce around like that in the first half of the year, that's really, really tough to finally have a home base that they can actually call their own. Okay, this is where we're really meant to be. You can see the difference it's made for them in the standings so far. 18-7 and seven since returning to Rogers Center, and that bears relevance right now because 11 of the final 18 games this season, they are in Toronto. Can't lock them up as wins just automatically, but the way they're going right now, it goes back to the point you made a couple of minutes ago. If this team doesn't get into the postseason, it's going to feel like a major failure at this point. It's going to feel like a massive missed opportunity, right? Because you're in the lead now. You know, you're not chasing anybody. You control your own destiny. You don't need to hope that Boston or the New York Yankees, that they stumble and they fall. You don't need to hope for that, right? All you need to do is go out and win a decent number of your remaining games, and you'll be fine. And, hey, you've already got one against Tampa Bay. I know a lot of fans were looking saying, ah, you know, they still got those six games against Tampa. That makes me nervous. You've already got one against Tampa Bay. You've got the seven games against Minnesota and still the three games against Baltimore. So you still have plenty of opportunities to rack up wins here in the final few weeks of the season. And I think at this point it would take probably a record. Well, you never know based on what the Yankees or Red Sox might do. But, I mean, you could do probably 500 a game above 500 and still still feel pretty good about your chances of making it in. So if you miss, it's going to be because you really, really, really stumbled down the stretch. Well, if you look at the last week of the season, I just told you everything about the home games, how prolific they've been in their own ballpark. Their final six games are at home, head-to-head against the Yankees in the first three, and then what would appear to be the ace in the hole. If it's coming right down to yep. down to the wire, boy, got to win these to get in. They play the Baltimore Orioles in the final three games of the season. The way things are right now, it can't set up much better than that. No, and it's again, that's at home. And, you know, we, we just saw, okay, you can't say it's a sweep before you start a series with the Orioles. They are going to win games here or there. But just the shape of those two teams' seasons, right, and what those games are going to mean to the Orioles, which is nothing, versus which they what they could mean to the Blue Jays, you're right. Ace in, a, ace in the hole is a good way to look at it because you should be able to go in there or, or have Baltimore come in to your home stadium and get a sweep if you need it. And the hope is you've done enough by that time that, you know, you don't need to sweat those games very much, right? And maybe you can use them to line your rotation up for a wild card game and beyond how you want it. But you do have that little buffer at the end of the season if you need it. 
I threw it out on Twitter. A bunch of you have replied. You can hit us up in the text message inbox at 960-960 or 650-650. Simple as this. The increased attention on the Blue Jays is the best, the worst, or easy enough to avoid. Almost 61% of you online are saying it's the best. Only 11.3% are saying, ah, it's the worst. And, hey, in today's day and age, Jamie, this is kind of where I fall out on anything that people complain about. Most of it's pretty easy to avoid if you want yes. to. But it sounds like the majority of people, and I've had people respond with some resp- with some actual comments as well. And most of them have said, hey, it's well-deserved. The way they're playing right now, this is an easy team to get on board with and to, and to enjoy the ride here down the stretch. Well, and here's the thing that I think does make it more tolerable tolerable for people, even if you're not a hardcore Blue Jays fan, is you just look around Major League Baseball, they're one of the biggest stories right now, right? Like, this is not something where only people in Toronto or only really big Blue Jays fans are talking about the Jays. This is a major, major story everywhere in baseball right now because of what they have done in September and the way they closed the gap on the Yankees and the Red Sox. And, you know, fans in those markets, which, of course, get tons of media attention always, are paying really close attention to the Blue Jays. So I think that probably is what makes it a lot more palatable to people maybe who wouldn't even consider themselves Jays fans normally is, well, what are you supposed to do? Ignore it? This is a massive, massive story as Major League Baseball heads into the playoffs. Yeah, it sure is. Top insiders in the game. That's what they're watching right now. That's what they're tweeting about right now. It makes a lot of sense. Let's get to what they're saying. What are you talking about, man? What are you saying? Not saying anything. You're saying something? I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooks. Here's what they're saying. Quick comment from someone who covers the team on the daily. That is Laura Armstrong, who was on the Fan 590 early today, talking about this Jays run and everybody getting swept up in it and watching them vault to the top of the wild card standings. Laura Armstrong, when asked about this 12-1 September, these 15 of the last 17 games, had this to say about the Blue Jays' hot streak. I mean, this team was always, in my opinion, always going to mount, like, some kind of, like, attempt. I didn't think it was necessarily going to be, like, of these proportions because at this point, literally everything is going right for this Blue Jays team, right? I, I mean... You know, you're you're having a guy like Bravik Valera who's, like, hitting out of his mind, you know? You know, it's one of those times where it's, like, everything is going well. I mean, it all starts with pitching. I know we're all excited by the bats, particularly after what happened over um, the weekend at, at Baltimore. It was it was a fun, fun weekend to watch. And last night, too, I mean, you know, it, it means something more to, to, you know, put a touchdown past the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Baltimore Orioles. But I do think that it all sort of comes down to the fact that the rotation has really clicked over the last month or a little bit more than a month. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, you always needed to see from the Blue Jays. I mean, pitching had to get better. The bats had to heat up. The defense had to get better. The bullpen had to had to stop, like, leaking runs at the end of the game. And it all clicked. And, and right. you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's incredibly fun. Um, for to watch and honestly for Blue Jays fans like it's really exciting to see I, I, I I'm sure it was exciting to be in the building last night and you know I think that like this city deserves it after this team deserves it after what they've been through over the past couple of years and maybe get the opportunity to host a wild card game here Jamie yep. you never know part of the story we didn't even touch on from last night and that's a fault on my part Alec Manoa he was sensational against a team yep. that had scored more runs or has scored more runs than any other American League outfit this season. 
it's flown under the radar just a little bit because for obvious reasons, all of the attention has been on what the Jays bats are doing and what their lineup is doing right now. But the Jays starting rotation has pretty quietly become a major, major strength of this team, right? With what Alec Manoa has done in his rookie year, what he continued to do last night with Barrios turning things around after a bit of a rough stretch since he came over. You know, obviously we all know about Robbie Ray, Steven Matz is pitching well. All of a sudden, you know, you start to, if you want to get ahead of yourself and look at a wild card game or look at a divisional series after that, you feel pretty good about what the Blue Jays can throw out there in terms of starting pitching. And that was not the case to begin the year at all. And Manoa is a huge part of that. Donovan Bennett, he's in Toronto. He'll give us a little added perspective when we speak to him in just over 15 minutes' time. Last night, we talked about the shenanigans in Vegas and just a weird ending to that game. Raiders vomiting all over themselves when it looked like they had the game cinched, but then they force a fumble from Lamar Jackson. They're going to kick a field goal in second. Now, wait, we can't find the kicker. So Derek Carr goes out there and calls ball game. Here's what the Raiders QB had to say about the game-winning play, the touchdown pass to Zay Jones. Uh, John said you guys ran a version of that play to Zay earlier on in the game. What's going through your head when you hear him call that one again and kind of looking at your chops going to the, to the line of scrimmage there? Yeah. Um, you know, they all out blessed us again at the end, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you understand they're trying to knock you out of field goal range, get the ball out quick and uh, make a tackle or force, force me to make a bad decision under pressure and things like that. It's, you know, everyone knocks that call, you know, at the end. But, you know, I've seen that, that call win games, you know, and knock people out of field goal range where now you have to throw Hail Mary, you know, and those kind of things. So um, it, I, I thought when I came out, I saw saw it, and uh, I, I literally yelled at Zay. I was like, hey, and he wouldn't look at me because he didn't want the DB to know it was coming. I said, let's go. I yelled at him, and he and he just nodded. He, like, kind of looked at me. But he had a great release at the line. Hopefully all the release people on Instagram can talk about his release now. But, uh, you know, he was he made a great release at the line, and that's where he won the play was his work at the line of scrimmage. And um, yeah, I, I can't be happier. Uh, if I had to pick somebody, I'd probably pick Zay. Please let Zay catch the game winner because he does so much for us. Um, and, and taking double teams and working, his t- he works harder than anybody. So I, I sit up here and talk to you for 10 minutes about the guy. But I'm just happy for him, and I'm not glad I'm kind of tired. Good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, he may have gotten a good release. Sure helped that Marlon Humphrey got picked by his own defense or defender. The Raiders lined up in that bunch formation to Carr's left. That was good recognition, easy throw. The throw I'm actually more impressed with in overtime is the one that we all thought Brian Edwards scored a touchdown on because Derek Carr had to yep. roll under pressure on that and throw it in a real tough spot down the sideline to give his guy a chance, and Edwards went up and made a play. I also got to say, Scotty, I did not know that there was a big um... – wide receiver release enthusiast community on Instagram. <laughs> but apparently, according to Derek Carr's comments, there there is. I guess there's – hey, you can find your niche for ed- for anything on any social media platform. So I'll have to check that out at some point. I was not aware that all of the wide receiver release experts are hanging out on Instagram. I will call myself a release stand, though I am not a big Twitter release guy. I'm not in a Twitter release community. But maybe I need to look that no. up now because maybe I you need got to a find lot of one. I've got a great amount of time for receiver releases and receiver footwork. Doesn't get highlighted enough. Footwork on the sideline. I love it. Nothing better than that, Jim. Well, Scotty, those are obviously two very different Twitter communities, right? So you might you oh, might have clearly. to choose only one of those to be a member of. I don't know. 
We've been waiting to see who would fill out the team on ESPN. We got that news a few weeks ago. Now we know with TNT, Jamie. I'm not sure if you have seen this come down, so maybe I'm breaking some news to you as well. Some of it we knew. Rick Tockett joined us last week. Excellent interview with now a TNT studio analyst. And we have some more of the names. Like Wayne Gretzky came out quite some time ago. We knew that he was leaving the Oilers, and we knew he was going to TNT. Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchuk, that's been known for quite some time. That's going to be your top play-by-play duo for NHL coverage on TNT. You're going to see Liam McHugh, who hosted things on NBC. He's going to come over. Anson Carter is coming over. He's going to be in the studio. Paul Bissonette, Biz Nasty, is also going to be a part of that panel. He was a name that was suggested by a lot of listeners early and often. I don't think that can be seen as any surprise. No, that's not a surprise, really. That was, you know, when we started doing this, when ESPN and Turner got the rights, and we started throwing out, okay, who do you want to see on the panel? Can Turner recreate what they have with Inside the NBA? You know, one of, if not the most widely suggested name, was Paul Bissonnette. So not a big surprise that Turner, the Turner executives feel the same way. Second crew for play-by-play will be Brendan Burke, who's handled Islanders coverage, and he did yep. a lot of NBC games as well. He'll be beside Darren Pang. Keith Jones is coming over from NBC. Many people knew that already. Jennifer Botterill, who's been sensational, in my opinion, on Sportsnet. She is going to be a contributor. Jackie Redmond, who's formerly a Sportsnet and went to work for the NHL Network. She will be a contributor. Tariq El-Bashir, who covers the Washington Capitals for the Athletic, is the other name that gets announced today by TNT. That's interesting. And lots and lots of talent for them to work with there. So, Viewers, I think, in the States are in for a treat because that sounds like it's going to be a really entertaining broadcast down there. Absolutely. Your reaction to any of that, you can get it in here. We have some good comments coming in that we will get to just ahead of Donovan Bennett. We normally hook up with him on Monday. We'll do it today. He joins us next on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. I said to begin the show, Tuesday doesn't really have a feel, to which one of our listeners responded, Hey, man, it's Taco Tuesday. Is Taco Tuesday a feel, Jamie? Do you agree with that? That's a uh, man. That is a fascinating philosophical question. Scotty. Is Taco <laughs> Tuesday. Is it a feel? Is it a vibe? As we say yeah. now, is it an event? I don't know. That's a fascinating question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Taco Tuesday is a feel. Is it? Is it a? Is it a mood? What is it? I don't know, man. That's a. That's a. You've really. You've really expanded my mind here on a Tuesday morning. It's a thing at LeBron James' house. We know that. Like, LeBron's into Taco Tuesday, loves getting after the Taco Tuesday. I haven't seen as much Taco Tuesday pub as I did prior to Space Jam 2, but he's got other things to worry about. Here's the other question with Taco Tuesday. Do you find that you actually commit to Taco Tuesday, or it's happenstance when Taco Night happens to land on a Tuesday, and so you say, hey, it's Taco Tuesday. Like, do you eat tacos disproportionately more on Tuesday? No, for me, it's happenstance. I'm not nearly organized enough. I don't have my life together enough to be to be planning Taco Tuesday on a regular basis. If it happens, it is purely a happy coincidence for me. I'm with you. And while I would like to make it a more regular thing, because I really do like tacos, I think anybody you ask, like, is there anybody out there that says, nah, taco's not for me? That's that's not a that's not a take you ever hear, is it? It's not not common, certainly. Very a very right. rare, very rare take to hear. I'm not saying it's going to be my New Year's resolution, but I do feel like it's something I should commit to more often. I I don't know if it has to be every Tuesday, but maybe weekly tacos. That's a thing, and it could be different kinds. Yeah, there we go. I love the idea of... (laughs) 
<laughs> that being your New Year's resolution to really buy into Taco Tuesday this yeah. year. Oh, the family likes it, Jamie. The kids, they love Taco Night. Does Taco you know what salad, they say? Does you taco set salad qualify goals. or no? Well, it's, this is true. That's what I mean. Most people go into, like, New Year's resolutions, and I'm, I know we're a few months off from that, but they're like, yeah. I'm going to lose 25 pounds. That, like, that's yeah. really difficult to do or or whatever it happens to be. Or depending what your habits are, I'm going to quit this for the entire year. And three weeks later, you're like, ah, gave it a good shot. No, I like You're talking about adding something enjoyable to your life. Yeah. I enjoy that. I would say taco salad doesn't count. I If, if you threw out a... Oof a taco salad picture on social media with the hashtag taco Tuesday. I think you would get some blowback on that one. Does it depend if it's in a tortilla bowl? That makes it better. That makes Mm. it better, but I still wouldn't count. But if it's just like in a bowl and it's a taco salad in a bowl, then it's right out. No way. In a tortilla bowl is closer, but still doesn't fall under the true banner of taco Tuesday for me. My mom, Chris Faber, really, Taco Tuesday, it has to be a taco in some type of shell. doesn't matter if it's hard or soft. You are chiming in against taco salad. No, I'm with taco salad. Oh, good. I think Jamie's saying saying I'm wrong. Yeah, I think Jamie's wrong here. I mean, it's literally the first word of the food item. It's taco salad. (laughs) Like, how is that not a taco? I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, you go, you pull out the Doritos, you smash those up a little bit. That's like almost better than tacos to a certain degree when you get the taco salad because I'm a huge fan of that Catalina sauce that you put on there. Like that's one of my favorite salad dressings. Does anyone eat the hard shell tacos anymore? I never saw them in Mexico. Okay, hold on. Says this next texter. Hold on, guys. Yeah, well, hard shell is, I think, like a a North American or, you know, non-Mexican invention. I think it's soft shell down there mostly. But hold on. If your buddy invited you over, hey, we're going to do Taco Tuesday, come over, and then he puts down a taco salad in front of you, Come on, You're, you've been sold a false bill of goods. You're expecting some legit tacos if somebody says they're doing Taco Tuesday. But there is would... a different feel when you're going over to your buddy's house for food as opposed to having your family congregate together or you're with your your partner and you're getting together, Jamie. I, I think that's fair. I think you would expect if your buddy said, hey, we're having tacos, then you would expect a taco for Taco Tuesday if you're going over – I don't think that it, what kind of friend would would sell you a bill of goods where he or she invites <laughs> you over and doesn't mention beforehand that Taco Tuesday is going to be taco salad? Well, I'm just saying, if you wouldn't do it to your friend, you know, don't do it to yourself. Treat, treat yourself with that same respect that you would extend to your guests and don't pass off a taco salad on Taco Tuesday. Man, I feel like we're going to need another poll question that we got to put up here. This one comes in. My mom hates Mexican food, says this texter. So I never got tacos growing up. I spent my adult life making up for that. Good for you. Good for you, texter. Yeah, I had a couple situations like that growing up. My dad was not a big Mexican food fan, also not a big Indian food fan. So I have uh, definitely, and it was kind of thing where, you know, if he was ever out of town on a business trip or something is like okay you know what we're doing family you know what we're doing we're going to mexican food ron the barista says taco tuesday sorry to me is a handheld situation only no salads allowed says ron the barista someone else asking do burritos count as tacos no you can't go burritos taco you can't sell it as taco tuesday on that front you can say we're having mexican food tonight but you can't sell that as taco tuesday it's not mexican food tuesday it's taco tuesday i think that's the key distinction here Well, let's ask an authority on this. Donovan Bennett, 
He is a man who wears many hats, one of them being a Taco Tuesday hat, I imagine. At some point in his life, he joins us now. Donovan, settle this for us. Taco salad, does it count for Taco Tuesday or not? It does not. It's not salad Tuesday. Come on, man. It's, yeah, it's, thank you, Donovan. It's thank taco you. Tuesday. Uh, it's the same. Listen, good on you if you, you care about uh, your health and you want to have your burger not with traditional bun, just a lettuce wrap, that's fine. But that's not a burger. That's a patty with some other stuff around it. And a traditional taco um, is not in a salad. It, it is a salad that you're trying to trick yourself to make you think it's a taco because it has taco-like things in it. So taco, if we're all having Taco Tuesday and someone wants to opt out and, and have a healthier choice and have a salad, that's fine. But a taco is a separate species than a taco salad. See, I would disagree for a couple of reasons. Very few people among us are going to have taco salad without some sort of tortilla chip with it or a tortilla bowl. Very few among us would do that. So all you're doing is the deconstructed taco. I mean, that's what you would call it on a fancy restaurant menu. Hey, deconstructed taco for you here, Donovan. So that's that's not a taco. Listen, I can have a bunch of bricks laying on the side of the street, but until I build them, into a house it's not a home and so until you construct that taco it's not a taco i would actually have more latitude to someone trying to sneak in a burrito and say hey can i be part of the taco tuesday festivities because the burrito is in the taco family they're cousins if you will they're not not direct siblings but they're cousins we're just now deciding well, how are we going to wrap this thing are we going hard sell or, or soft so i understand because the institution the culture of the meal is the same a salad is an entirely different ballgame that's what a if, salad in a, in a taco those are like step children step siblings wow we're going to disagree on this hard what if it's served in a hard taco shell bowl serves in a hard taco shell See, I love this because you're pushing me back to, like, second-year philosophy class <laughs> where I have an argument, and then I've got these premises, and I have to defend the argument in these hypothetical situations. If it is served in a taco shell bowl, is it a taco? Interesting. I, I like what you did there. You're, you are you're making me play left-handed. You've got me boxed in the corner. I will say yes. I don't have a real good reason as to why it's not. So I will say yes. But but you you we might as well have had you at the federal leaders debate because that was great work by you. Thank you very much, and I appreciate your recent conversion over to Taco Salad. Donovan Bennett joining us here as he does weekly on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. All right. You're in Toronto. The Jays are there right now. They're the hottest team in baseball. Give me an idea of what it's like on a daily basis in that city with this team. You know, it's uh, certainly a vibe around the stadium. The sad part is when they're putting up football scores, a lot of it was on the road. So now that they're coming back home, and and certainly they they played well sweeping uh, the A's before they went on, on the road, 
it, it's like compound interest that continues to build in every big inning and, and big game and big pitching performance builds that momentum, not just on social media, but the conversations that you're having, whether or not it's, you know, at your place of work or for me, even at the grocery store, my young son was wearing a, a Blue Jays baseball hat and that started a conversation as we were waiting in line about how well the team is playing. I'm a Rogers employee. And so that means that people at all times are asking me if I can get them Blue Jays tickets. Well, those inquiries have gone up tenfold in the last fortnight. So there is some expectation that no longer is this a pipe dream. No, they're in it. Not, not only should they expect to be in a wild card position, people will at this point be disappointed if they're not hosting uh, a wild card game. And, and shout out to Joe Siddle, who, you know, a couple of weeks ago basically just said, everyone relax, stop tweeting out what the daily projection is in terms of playoff percentages. It is a long season. There's lots of baseball to be played. and Teams get hot and go on runs and teams struggle and fall back to the pack. And we've seen this Blue Jays team really get hot and go on a run. And so it's been fun to watch. And hopefully that translates not into the rest of just September, but into early October as well. Donovan, does it start to have, uh, or has it started to have kind of a similar feel to 2015 where, you know, that team got really hot in August after the trade deadline and it went from, okay, hey, they could actually make the playoffs to, wait, they could actually do some damage once they make it into the postseason. Are, are you getting that similar vibe in Toronto these days? Yeah, and that's a great comp. And that team was a bit different, right? They went crazy at the trade deadline and brought in a bunch of big names to augment that team that was, you know, treading water a little bit. And then they went on that that run. It's, this team's different in that this has been building for a while. You just waited for, one, them to be healthy, and two, for the bullpen not to waste all of the good work by the starting staff and the offense. And so you're starting to see that be the case. But the similarities outside of the vibe that's in the city from now to the playoff team in the past that you mentioned are a couple. One, how long the lineup is. When you look at some of the damage that they've done in those big, big innings, a lot of that is five, six, seven, eight nine hole you have a team that yesterday has a player hitting in a ninth spot at 275 that has a higher you know average than George Springer who's batting leadoff for you and is uh, arguably you know your your MVP if if healthy uh so so that's the one thing the other thing is when you project looking at a series an upcoming series the first thing I do is I look at the probable pitchers there a vast difference in one game or another is a game that it's going to be tough to get because of that matchup or a really exciting matchup with, with two hurlers that you really want to see go at it. And the Blue Jays continue to stack good outing after good outing where there is no hole in their starting five where you say, oh man, it's going to be a long day when so-and-so is at the mound. No longer is it the case where, okay, when's Roy Holiday pitching? All right, I want to go to the ballpark on that day. When is Roger Clemens pitching? Okay, I want to go to the ballpark on that day. You can go to the ballpark on any night knowing that you've got a chance from the starting pitcher to see something pretty exciting. I think those are the the big two comparisons. The other thing is the energy. As fun as it is to watch this team play, I get more enjoyment watching the dugout 
watching them celebrate everyone you know back in the day was celebrating with Jose with the bat flips and doing the parrot with Edwin and it's the same thing with this team whether it's the home run jacket or just seeing the bench get up for big play after big play um there is a great youthful exuberance about this team and it makes it hard not to pull for them well, and a huge part of that energy is Vladdy, right? As you said, that youthful exuberance, that energy that he has, that joy he has is so much fun to watch. And, I mean, he's gotten red hot again here in the last few weeks. And it's kind of, a little bit anyways, reopened the MVP debate between him and Shohei Otani. And what I find most interesting, I, th- I still think it's going to be Shohei Otani, but what I find most interesting is you've started to have, again, the classic debate of, How much should we weight team success when we're talking about the MVP, right? Because the Jays look like they have a good shot to make the postseason. The Angels are going to miss again. Donovan, for you, how much do you think we should weight team success when we're deciding on MVP awards? Well, you got to. Because otherwise what you're doing is a bit of empty calories, right? There is no positive outcome from that great play end and don't take this for me, take it from those who've played the game. I've had long conversations with guys like Ricky Romero about this. There is a entirely different level of pressure when you are in a pennant race, when you are chasing the wild card, when you're in playoff position, then when you know, no matter what I do in this ball game, it's probably not going to change. I'm still going to be golfing at the same time at the end of the year. And so to put up those numbers in really a playoff race, putting your team in a playoff race, but also knowing that those at-bats matter, uh, that that defensive play matters. Uh, For for Robbie Ray, who's in the Cy Young conversation, having a clean inning right now, getting out of this jam, really, really matters. It's going to have a big impact on what we collectively do this season. I, I think you have to put some weight on that. We need to basically come up with a Shohei Otani award to recognize what he's done, which is out of this world, the likes of which we may never see again, because we certainly haven't seen it since the days of Babe Ruth. We need to recognize this because for me of the traditional metrics, when you look at MVP, if Vladdy wins a triple crown, he has done everything that you've asked of an MVP. Leading offensively has been pretty good defensively at first base. No longer are we worried about his hands and his weight. And then on the flip side, has anyone on the back end of this year been a better pitcher than Robbie Ray? Find me an argument that he shouldn't win the Cy Young. So two Blue Jays could win two major awards because they're playing so good. And I think it would be a shame not to recognize the year Otani has had. And I suspect Otani will win the MVP because, one, it will be still very difficult for Vladdy to continue this pace and win the Triple Crown. But, two, the narrative of Otani might take him to a place where he gets a lot of ballots cast for him. But uh, I, I definitely think that voters should take a long look at Vladdy for MVP because – he is doing what John Olerud did, you know, years and years ago, but with much more power. Uh, and so it's been so, so fun to watch for me as a Blue Jays fan. Orioles manager Brandon Hyde would like to argue with your Robbie Ray take, actually. He would like to <laughs> I think he would just like to argue, quite frankly. I think he yeah. is mad that he has to watch that team every day. And so 
uh, you know, he's, he's hangry. Um, and he wants some tacos today and, and wants to bow out of managing, you know, arguably the worst team in baseball. Maybe a taco salad. Donovan Bennett joining us here for a few more minutes on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. So the Blue Jays playing this well leads to the prospect of having a home playoff game, hosting the wild card game. And while we know it won't be full, that would just be great for sporting fans in Toronto. Have you had an opportunity to attend anything yet, Donovan, whether you've gone to a baseball game, uh, an MLS game, a CL, a CFL game? Have you been in the stands yet? I... On Friday, we'll be at a TIFF premiere of uh, nice. a, a series of NBA documentaries. So I believe, if memory serves correct, that will be my first reemergence back into what it's like being in major public settings. I've done some reporting in and around some, some live events. So I've been close to it enough to be able to smell the popcorn or the sausages or in many cases the beer, but I haven't, I don't think I've been in attendance for anything as a fan since uh, the pandemic has happened. And I, I do remember what it was like to be in the Rogers center for a playoff game. I was there for bat flip night. I really was. I know that 2 billion people have said <laughs> that they were there. I, I yeah. promise you I was there and the only way that I can describe it was it was like an SEC football game at a bat, baseball game. Like that was the level of almost tribalistic fandom, the, the sheer force of volume. And one thing that we've heard from, from players is we used to talk about Blue Jays attendance and how few people are there. And no matter how many people are there, it is loud right now, so I can only imagine what it would be like for a playoff game because everyone who's there is locked in and engaged. And, and unlike sports fans across this country, certainly in the prairies, but even out, out west, there is a tendency in Toronto to go to a sporting event so that you can say that you went to a sporting event, so that you can post it on IG, so that it's in the background uh, of your photos as you're conversing. And now, I think because we've missed that opportunity to be at a sporting event, we're acting like we're Riders fans. We're acting like we're Whitecaps fans. We're there to watch the sporting event and to really cheer and, and be loud. And, and I've seen and heard stories of people from all across the country as we can't travel abroad using this as an opportunity to travel into Toronto to come to watch the Blue Jays you know because it is you know post-expos Canada's baseball team so if, if we have that for a playoff scenario whatever the number is in terms of attendance at that point because hopefully as people continue to get vaccinated uh, and, and we have a rollout of vaccine passport that number will trickle up uh, it, it will be quite a scene. So uh, my fingers are crossed that we get to see it. And those who haven't had a chance to go to an event, you see a heightened event like that one, and it just makes you want to be there that much more. We all know that not everybody can be, and you don't have to be in the stadium, the arena, to make it captivating and to be locked in. We saw that with the Montreal Canadiens run. We just saw that at least, I think we saw that with Leila Annie Fernandez. How locked in on that run were you? Was it appointment for you on Saturday? Where were you at with that? Every couple days when she took the court, 
I was like, okay, this is fun, but it's going to end now, right? Like, no, she can't. She can't continue to do this. She can't continue to beat major winners and, and top five players on the tour. She can't continue to come back uh, and, and win in three sets. And, and clearly there's going to be a, a toll that's going to take on her. Or just the bubble is going to burst. She's going to be happy with success and, and bow out. And so it was just so fun to watch because she's fearless. I, I quite frankly, even though Andrescu finished the deal in one, I feel like Layla's run was more unlikely. B- Bianca, granted, Serena ha- had to bow out of the competition at the at the time Rogers Cup, now National Bank Open. But Bianca had won prior. She had gone deep into Indian Wells. So we were certainly elated, but we expected her to show well when it came to the U.S. Open. Larry Fernandez, for for many an uninitiated like myself, came out of nowhere. And so you fell in love with her and the fist pumps and the steely determination. You fell in love with her box and her sister telling her to smile and, you know, her, her strength coach basically looking like he's going to be the ultimate warrior after every point. You fell in love with the heartfelt comments of her dad and her overall story of being Canada's version of Richard Williams teaching his daughters the sport uh, when they really took a, a loving to it. And, and the overall story of the family being one of an immigrant uh, story. And so I'm certainly locked in. I'm, I am, you know, on the, the Fernandez bandwagon at this point and um, loved watching Chapo when he was in. Obviously, I was hoping Bianca would continue to push. Felix had an incredible run and, you know, showing us that true potential uh, and, and now will be, uh, you know, looking like a top 10 player in the world. But Layla was so, 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 so infectious is the word that I kept coming to. You couldn't help but smile and cheer and be in awe when when she was taking the court. So hopefully she uh, continues to give us these moments because I, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Hey, Donovan, just before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about the Monday night game last night and specifically actually one of the broadcasts, the Manning cast broadcast with Peyton and Eli and various special guests throughout the night. What did you think of how it worked? And do you think that style of, you know, non-traditional broadcast is going to be something that we see a lot more of sooner rather than later around sports. Yeah. So I was really intrigued and uh, kudos to ESPN and ABC for pushing the envelope because they've done things like this in the past. They've done streams for some big basketball matchups where there's, you know, basically a watch party with different people coming in. They've had multiple mega casts for college football championships, whether it was the coaches room or a mega cast similar to this, where it's a bit more of a party atmosphere. This was a bit of, both where certainly when you have Ray Lewis with the Mannings, they're breaking down the X's and O's of film study and towards the end of the game with Russell Wilson, you know, going into overtime, talking about what the quarterback is thinking as a football junkie and someone who played the sport. And I say football is my second language. I I really loved it. I, I felt like they tried to incorporate some of the more watch party aspects, which work when you have Charles Barkley, who is everyone's favorite party guest because he just sets the tone and the mood and it's going to say something that might make you cringe or laugh, but you're on the edge of your seat with your ears perked up, wondering what it will be. 
I thought early on they were trying a little bit too hard with the sketches and and Peyton with the helmet on and impersonating John Gruden. It's funny to see Peyton in that element, but I can't do that for three hours or four hours. And Peyton is so good in commercials because there's a script written for him because there's multiple takes and because there's an ad agency that is making sure that it comes off really, really well and polished. But we even know great comedic actors struggle at, at times in, in a live setting. So to expect a Hall of Fame quarterback to, to do it, I think, is a bit much. But once they got to breaking down the football and the thought process and the relationship that they had, Eli and Peyton with each other, but also with their guests, going up against Ray Lewis, going up against Russell Wilson uh, in, in Super Bowls, that's the aspect that I love because – I felt like I was eavesdropping. I felt like somehow Peyton Manning butt dialed me and I was able to listen in and watch his conversation with people at his level about a game that otherwise, quite frankly, I really wouldn't have cared about. I had already won all of my fantasy leagues at that point. Do I really care about Ravens Raiders week one? Not really. So I think it worked in that aspect, and I think it's smart that they're only doing 10 games and not the full slate because they can pick and choose. Um, but, but I think around the third, fourth quarter, they found their stride. But who cares what I think? What do you guys think? Yeah, I liked it. I didn't watch it in its entirety. I probably should have watched it in its entirety. I was flipping over. I was watching the main broadcast, and I was catching some of it on social, and I was just checking out every once in a while. But the next time they do it, I will certainly tune in for the bulk. And nice, low-key, humble brag there. I'd already won all my fantasy games by then. Just a low-key humble brag at the end. Just drop that in there. You've set the inbox on fire already with your controversial Taco Tuesday take, and then you throw in the humble brag. Hey, it's uh, I'm only in five leagues, so it's not like you had a lot of exposure. <laughs> one all only five, five leagues. Wow. Only five leagues. One, uh, one in my Tim and Friends league. So, uh, you know, shout out to, to everyone who's in that in Sportsnet, my Sportsnet.ca digital league. One in that one as well. So I'm, I'm among sports minds. I, I, it's only been one week, but I'm undefeated. Well, it makes sense. A ring for each digit on one of your hands. There you go. Exactly. Thanks, Donovan. Thank you. That is Donovan Bennett. You can follow him on Twitter and send him your taco takes at Donovan <laughs> Bennett. That's D-O-N-N-O-V-A-N Bennett with two N's. And two T's. We always enjoy a conversation. And, yes, there are a lot of taco takes coming in. We will try to get some of them into the program as well. And on the heels of the Carolina Hurricanes making their announcement today, we are seeing other clubs step up to the mic. One of them in Western Canada will tell you which one next right here on Rinto and Sermon with Jamie Dodd.